I am Emily Lyons. In 2009, without a high school degree and no money to my name, I decided to start my own business. But since then, I've built several multi-million dollar companies and I don't plan on stopping. Being a businesswoman, CEO, serial entrepreneur, survivor, and general life enthusiast, I'm endlessly jazzed by the business of life, especially the stories of extraordinary people I've had the privilege to meet along my own improbable journey to success. I don't think it's fair to keep that privilege to myself, and I think you deserve to be lifted and shifted by these people too. After all, all inspiring people are inspired people. So get ready to be inspired. This is Mind Your Business. All right, everybody. Today, I'm joined by one of my fantastic friends, Raj Sharma. So Raj, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Emily. I know we've been trying to coordinate this for a bit as it tends to go, but so for some context for everybody, Raj and I actually met on the Clubhouse app, the audio app. I'm sure you've all heard me talk about that many times because I'm a huge fan of it. (laughs) I would see Raj bumping around, popping in and out different rooms and his bio stood out to me. He just seemed like a really interesting person. You seemed like a really interesting person, Raj. And so <laughs> when we eventually did get on the phone, you know, I knew you were an entrepreneur from your bio and I knew that you'd done some neat things, but I was surprised with just how incredibly successful you actually are and just how humble you come off when you are speaking and when you're interacting with people. Yeah. You know, first of all, when you said interesting, that can mean a lot of things. (laughs) Very good. Very good. But yeah, no, I think I am pretty understated. I think I can be. And I've sometimes, you know, to be honest, I've lacked some of the confidence, even in spite of all the success I've had. But I do believe humility is a quality that is so core to my values that Mm. I've always said that, you know, no matter what you do and what you achieve, nothing makes you better than anyone else. So that's the core thing that I believe, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't have confidence, right? So humility is just something that... But I have realized that I need to be a little bit more sharing and out there so I can really inspire confidence and help others. Mm. So for those that are listening that might not be familiar with your story, tell us a bit about who you are, what you've done, Raj's in his own words. Yeah, where do I start? A very quick overview is I'm a serial entrepreneur. And I'll tell you the why behind my story. But you know, I got my start in entrepreneurship about 18 years ago, where I went out on a limb. I was frustrated with my job and I left and I accepted another job. But then I felt like I had done a lot of things that are entrepreneurial before, but I felt like I needed to do that on my own now. And so I always tell the story. I didn't have a real clear plan of what my business was going to be. Mm. I didn't have any real money. And I didn't really know, you know, I had never sold before. But I said, you know what, I'm going to start a company. And three days later, I actually sat down and I took whatever little bit of money I had. I told my mom, I said, I'm going to be coming over for lunch and dinner every day. You know, I need to save some money. And I just said to myself, I said, you know, so that's where I started my entrepreneurial journey. And we can talk a bit more about that. But, you know, it's carried me through over the past 18 years. I've learned so much. I did my first company, which got noted in a lot of places, Harvard Business Review, Wall Street Journal. I did a TEDx. But I've learned so much and I've grown so much as a person through that whole process. Now I'm building a second, really much larger platform now. But yeah, it really all started with my desire to help people. That's kind of the core of it. And I can talk a little bit about, you know, my journey as a child and how that really, you know, made me want to help others. And that was really the grounding behind why I started my first company and why I became an entrepreneur. 
I love that. And now still you continue to be very humble. (laughs) So Raj, you actually exited your last company. Would you mind sharing what you sold that for? Yeah. So I can't say too much detail, but definitely we sold it for, you know, a high to eight figure number. And you know, that company I'm so proud of, it's called Sensio Consulting Group. Mm-hmm. So we sold that company, built it into eight-figure revenue business. And like I said, it got noted in a lot of places. But you know, I started with the notion that my burning desire in building that company was that we as people, as leaders, as managers, need to do a better job in the way we treat people. Because I felt like I wasn't treated well. But then the more I talked to people, you know, in other companies, my friends, others, right? I saw that people are treated like numbers in most places. And I said, you know what? At the end of the day, I think there's got to be a better way because if you believe in the potential of every single person, which I truly do, right? And what if you built a great workplace where you really believed in that potential, gave them, you know, a great work environment, gave them the tools and the training and other things, that they need to succeed and grow every day. And you also surrounded them with other amazing people. I really thought magic could happen. And that was my starting point for starting that company. And guess what? You know, I didn't know the core business focus, but I said, you know, that if I just bring great talent together, I know I could do amazing things and we could do amazing things more importantly. And so that was how we built that company. And it turned out to be a strategy consulting firm. You know, we brought in people from Boston Consulting Group, Bain and Company, McKinsey, some of the most elite firms. And everybody told me, Raj, there's no way you're going to be able to bring any of those people in. Why are they going to come work for you? I said, leave that to me. And we did. We created one of the most amazing talent pools for a small company. You know, as we created value for our clients over time, That's what really generated their revenue and grew the company over and over. And that's what led to me exiting at a very high valuation. Mm. I love that. I think when you have such an incredible purpose, it's hard to go wrong, but going into it with that idea. And how did you learn all of this? Like, How did you learn all of the skills that you needed to build this business? You know, that's a great question, Emily. And I would say this to any entrepreneur, and I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs. My current business is uh, working with tons and tons of amazing entrepreneurs. So I get to talk about this. But I would say just start first. You know, if you start with that humility and knowing what you know, and there's a lot you don't know, but you're willing to learn and be curious, right? That's the starting point. But don't be afraid of that, right? Embrace that ambiguity of not knowing, right? And that fear that we all may have about the unknown, embrace that and then go start talking to people and getting people that do know, right? That's one of the best things I did when I started is I knew I had some expertise in certain areas. I had never sold before. So I knew I needed to figure that out if I'm going to run a company, right? I also knew that if I brought in some other people that whether they were advisors to me, mentors to me, they could really teach me. So that's one of the very first things I tell people. If you're starting a company, you know, think about what you know, right? But also think about other things that you need to know or that you think are going to make you successful. You may know some of them right away. Others you'll figure out as you go, right? And then go out and reach out to all the people you know. And there's so many people willing to help, right? And get them as mentors, get them as advisors, right? And that's one of the very best things I did, Emily. And a lot of people who know the story of my company, 
very first thing I did, and this is a very specific thing that people can do, is I reached out to somebody I'd worked with who was senior supervisor to me. He was at University of Virginia Darden Business School. And I reached out to him. And I said, Tim, you know, I'd love for you to be a mentor and an advisor to our company. And I also knew that when customers saw that, it would add instant credibility to my company's profile, right? All of a sudden, they'd see this professor who'd written a book already, right? They'd be like, why are they working with Raj, right? Who's Raj? Nobody really knows, right? But Tim Lasseter, he's written this famous book in this area. So I would say, I'll pause there that don't be afraid of what you don't know. Embrace it, but then go out and seek and ask people for help. So many people are willing to help if you just ask. I love that. It's always surprising to me because over the years, I've reached out to some pretty incredible people and built a really great network. But it's so true. People are happy to help when you reach out to them. And I think that even if you don't know them yet, just reaching out to people on LinkedIn or Instagram, great way to find people. It is. And, you know, especially social media, I'll tell you, you know, bringing LinkedIn, that's where I'm kind of, I'm more familiar and comfortable from a social media standpoint. I've built my network. I've met so many people, both in terms of talent right? Hiring people, but also people that became customers and people that became advisors or just said, Raj, you're doing awesome things. We want to be helpful to you, right? So I think any entrepreneur nowadays, I'm sure they know, especially working with you, Emily, and listening to this podcast, you know, social media, this is the age we're in, right? Especially with COVID and everything and the changing world we have, you must be savvy, right? And you need to at least know the basics as a leader, as a manager, if you're going to engage your customers, engage talent, right? You need to be on there. And I found it to be my best pool of relationships, honestly, over the past few years. Incredible. When you were just starting out, you sought out people that were supportive. But did you have people that were trying to talk you out of it that didn't really believe in what you wanted to do? Like, how was your family? Yeah, you know, uh, so I had met my, became my wife now. I had met her. We had been dating for about six months and I had a really nice six figure job, right? That I quit. But I knew that one, I needed to do entrepreneurship or start a company before I got married because I said, then it won't be only my decision anymore. Yes. <laughs> so I said, you know, it's not going to be just me making that decision anymore, right? So that was one thing. But I also felt that urge. But second is, you know, I felt the timing was there. But my family, first, they were really kind of fearful. You know, typical parents, right? My dad, Indian dad, you know, he's like always talking about work and financial stability and all of that, right? He's like, what are you doing? Are you crazy? You're working for a really big company, big brand name. And you've got such a nice income, everything. And you want to get married. You're dating somebody. You're going to go quit your job. You're going to ruin everything. (laughs) 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 Of course, that's like, thanks, dad, for the confidence. (laughs) So they weren't in entrepreneurship. You know, it's funny thing is they were like my dad, actually, everybody's always told me to tell the story of my dad. You know, he was a refugee. You know, so so my family was a little fearful, but at the same time, I think they had been through a lot of hardship themselves. So we as a family, if I could just talk about that for a second. Absolutely. And Mayor, where my why comes from, you know, for helping people. My dad was a refugee when India-Pakistan split up for many years. He was selling candy on the streets at age nine. You know, at 8, 18, after his teaching himself through under street lamps and stuff, this is an awesome story, but I want to go through detail. He walked up to the American embassy in Delhi. And he said, I want a job here. Imagine that 1960s, somebody, this sounds like a Bollywood story, 
right? Somebody walked up to the big white walls. I remember them of the American embassy in Delhi and goes up to the gate, disheveled looking kid says, I want a job here, right? Wow, right? And the guy looked at him, he's like, get lost kid. But then, you know, he went in and got, luckily somebody, an American associate that worked there at the embassy got him and he talked to him and he took him in. He said, we don't have any jobs right now, but you can run coffee, do pick up stuff and we see where it goes. And my dad's like, whatever, I'm going to make it to America one day and I want to do anything you want me to do, right? Next thing you know, my dad is an officer, financial officer at USA Agency for International Development, right? And so long story there, but we went through a lot of hardship, Emily. After that, my dad lost, like my dad was like down and then up. And in some ways, I've gone through that same thing. We went and, you know, he lost his job at USAID because Indira Gandhi canceled USAID and closed the mission. We went to basically having no food where my dad invested all the money. We lost everything. And my mom, you know, whenever she tells the story, she said, we used to eat one meal a day. We wanted to make sure you guys had enough. After that, my dad left under hardship to come here. He left us behind. And after that, when we finally came here a year later, they couldn't afford four kids here. So we were here. There were four kids. My dad, you know, had gotten whatever job he could get here when he came here. So he took a secretary job after being a program officer and everything. So that killed him too, right? So now he's a secretary here, right? After that, and many people do that, right? You hear of immigrants all the time, right? They were doctors in their country mm-hmm. and come and become a taxi driver here, right? So people go through a lot of that. And so my dad did too, but what they realized was four kids, they couldn't afford it. So they took me and my brother, my older brother, and we went back to India and I had no idea this was going to happen. I've written this in vivid detail. I like to write like more kind of creative writing. They took us back. In India, you know, the, all the flights take off in the middle of the night. And I was six years old. And I saw, you know, my mom, my sister, my younger brother getting ready. And it was about probably 10 o'clock at night. And I saw the suitcases. And I said, how come I'm not getting ready? And I was six. I remember this vividly. You know, there's some memories that you have that are vivid. And my mom didn't know what to say. She said, oh, just put on your clothes. You know, we'll wake you up when it's time to go. So I get emotional whenever I talk about this to this day. It must have been like 6 a.m. I woke up. I looked, you know, on both sides of the bed. I saw my uncle there. I didn't see my mom. I knew I had the sense what happened. And I walked over to this little hallway. I saw my grandfather sleeping there. And they had left me (gasps) and my brother. And they never told us. Of course, I started crying right away. But that killed me. That killed my self-esteem. To this day, I just wrote about this the other day on LinkedIn. 45 years it's taken me to, you know, finally, I said about five years ago to one of my friends here at Sensio, you know, the company, I said, you know, we were at a happy hour. I said, you know, this is the first time I feel comfortable in my own skin. 45 years, right? And that whole, you know, experience of being left behind, but then... You know, back then you had no communication with your parents, right? There was nothing. There was like, our family wasn't that well off. We didn't have a phone. You couldn't, there was no social media, right? There was no FaceTime. And so, you know, you were pretty much not communicating with your parents, right? And so my mom was shattered. You can imagine any mother. She said she was so depressed herself, right? She knew how I would be because I was a mama's boy. And so that whole experience kind of in some way shaped me from there. You know, I went through a lot of like depression after that, but I also thankful in other ways because it built the resilience that I have now. 
I learned how to live without my parents. You know, I also saw, you know, we didn't have a whole lot in India, even there, but I saw kids sleeping on the streets. I saw at least we had a roof over her head. I saw little kids, five years old, washing dishes at restaurants, right? So that taught me that no matter what you have, there are people that are much worse off. So we have zero right. I, one thing I've known, no matter what I've gone through, and I think it's also because of my dad and all the stuff I know about my dad, you have no right to complain about anything ever oh gosh, or feel sorry for yourself. I've never felt sorry for myself, no matter what I've gone through. So anyways, you know, that shaped me in many ways, you know, and built a lot of my grit, no matter what I was going through. I always said, you know, get up right? One hour, you're like not feeling great. You need to get up and you can't feel sorry for yourself and go out. There's so much work to do. And there's a lot more people that need help out there. And there's no reason for me to sit here and kind of mope and feel bad. Yeah, 100%. I find that people who have had those experiences as a child where something really crazy like that has happened is that they develop those skills that really help them through entrepreneurship to weather those ups and downs. Because I think that we have that mindset, you know, first of all, that mindset of the positivity, always focusing on what we do have, the good things, and looking for the assets that we can leverage to find success and that we are just so resilient and scrappy. <laughs> so, yeah, no, and you've gone through, I mean, I've read your story and heard your story, right? And it's inspiring. And you're right. I always say, you know, we even talk about it at home now, Emily, we're, you know, or luckily we're successful financially, we're very well off, all of those things, right? I think about our kids. I'm like, man, how do we put them through some hardship, <laughs> right? <laughs> We're like, how do we build that resilience muscle in them, right? Because that's what we worry about as parents now. We're like, wow, they have everything. You know, because it does build, right? So I always tell people, embrace every failure, not as a failure, but it's building muscles that are so important. Life is not easy for anybody, whether you have a lot of money, whether you have a lot of success, right? All of us have those ups and downs and things that are going on sideways, right? And that resilience is one of the most important things that you can build is probably the most important thing you can get. And it's a gift. It's a gift mm-hmm. that you should be thankful of her. Every time you fall down, you should say thank you, right? Because it teaches you how to get up, right? Mm-hmm. Because you have to get up. There's no other choice. You have to get up. So I look at it as, you know, whatever God's given me and all anything I've gone through, it's a gift. And that's how I look at it. Well, it's funny because friends have said to me, <laughs> actually, a friend not too long ago said to me, just again, I wish that I had struggled more in my childhood. I wish it didn't have been given to me. Because, you know, a lot of them went on, their parents paid for them to go to university and the majority of them either didn't finish it or they did. And now they're just working, you know, a few of them are just working in like a service job that didn't actually require their university education. Mm -hmm. Um, Not that there's anything wrong with it, but didn't need that university education to go on to, to work that. They didn't have that drive where they really had to make or break. There's no choice to give up. Yeah, I think you learn so much, right? Through all those experiences and the need, right? Like I'll tell you, like even college, I knew my parents were financially, it wasn't easy for them to afford to send us to college. And, you know, I took five and a half years to go to college after I moved here at 13. I still was going through all my depression and everything. But still, you know, I was getting up every day, doing things I needed to do from high school all the way, you know, so basically 10th grade all the way through college, five years of it. I worked at a grocery store. And I loved it. I learned so much because you got to interact with so many different types of customers, Mm -hmm. right? 
And, you know, whether it's the worst customer or the best customer, you learn something, right, about human interaction and how you deal with people. But, you know, I said to my parents, you don't have to pay for anything because, you know, I, and I didn't want any debt. And so I worked 30 hours a week for seven straight years from basically age 16. And even the, before that, I was working and helping my mom at their card and gift store. So I've always kind of worked, worked. But, you know, to your point, like those things taught me a whole lot. Again, I didn't get to do all the things that every normal college kid gets to do. I didn't get to go to all the parties. I didn't get to do the dorm life. But everybody's journey is different. So I can sit here and say, why didn't I get to do it? Or I can say, wow, you know what? I learned so much and it's a gift that I can now help others. Mm -hmm. I think I worked every job known to man. (laughs) (laughs) Working on a farm, being a cleaner, being a server, working at a store. But you know what? I loved being a cleaner. I loved going into like a really dirty place and leaving it super clean. Mind you, I hate cleaning my own place, but (laughs) (laughs) I loved being a cleaner. All right. I can't say I've also done a lot of jobs, but I can't say cleaning is my favorite thing, though. I know that, well, you have started a business again, like a true entrepreneur, just can't stop. (laughs) So, what do you think is the best thing that people could be doing this year to grow a business, you know, in whatever capacity that they're doing? If they're starting, if they've already got a business, what do you think are some of the best things that they could be doing right now to get that business to the next level? Yeah. You know, Emily, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs. Like I said, some are like literally rocket scientists, you know? And so one of the things I see all the time through this kind of the benefit of coaching is I always tell people, your idea is great. Your product may be great, but fall in love with the problem first. Okay. Fall in love with the problem or the need you're trying to solve for. So get to know your customers. So, you know, define who your target audience is. And be focused on that, right? Like, so don't be everything to everyone. Pick your niche, right? Find out the problems and the needs and fall in love with that problem because there's so many problems to solve for. And then, you know, your product or solution will take shape based on that problem, right? And so I think too often, too many people... So I would say that would be my first point of advice, which me too or any other year. I would say I, too, I see too many great entrepreneurs that are you know, working super hard, but they fall in love with too much of their idea and their solution. Yes. So you got to be humble. You got to be humble, right? Like this goes back to, hey, I have a great idea, but I don't know if anybody wants it, honestly. <laughs> like that's the way you approach it. See, right? You're saying yeah, you agree with that? A hundred percent. I've seen that so many times and we're too in love with the idea that we don't take constructive criticism to make it something that other people would like. Or I've seen entrepreneurs that Mm -hmm. have built really incredible products or services, but -hmm. they've built it in a way that they think that customers want it. But when they become open to it being applied in another way, then it becomes very successful. Absolutely. And I think if we just say, it goes back to humility, what we started this conversation with, right? Is I think great product creators, great entrepreneurs also are humble, right? Like, yes, you have a great idea, but you know, even if you might be arrogant in other ways, because people are probably thinking not every entrepreneur thinking about some big names, right? But I think every entrepreneur, every product creator has this customer empathy, right? And it's so important. I look for that in anybody I hire from a product standpoint. You have to have customer empathy, meaning you need to put yourself in their shoes, right? And make sure you understand them and their problems, their desires, their motivations. If you can do that and you stay humble to your idea and say, you know what? I'm going to shape it like you just said. Shape it to what they need, right? And I've called myself, you know, I always say I'm a creator, not an operator. I like to invent stuff. I've created lots of different things. 
But I can also tell you many times I started with something that completely changed 180. Right? <laughs> yeah. And then by the time I was done, like talking to customers. So has there ever been a time where you thought it might fail or you wanted to give up and throw in the towel? So my next article on LinkedIn is uh, titled, I'm Bipolar. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> and I say that in response to this question, because I'm sure you, you would agree, you know, entrepreneurship is like a journey where you every day you might go through many emotions, right? Like you mm-hmm. feel like there's a high. And then, you know, the same day, a few hours later, you might be like rock bottom. And so it's a very emotional journey. And I do think you need that resilience, right? Like to be able to go through it. But yeah, there are many times, you know, I've created something, even what I'm doing right now, to be honest, right? There are days I just got out of a meeting, I won't say, with one of the biggest brand names in the world right before this. But I question a lot of times, are we going to succeed, right? But I think what it does is by always being at that state, you want to have confidence, but at the same time, always not get too confident, yes. right? Right. Then you are always saying, okay, how do I innovate? How do I make this better? How do I listen to my customers? Yes. What is the competition doing, right? Hello, Blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So hopefully, you know, I, we're working on something. But yeah, I, I think like any entrepreneur should like, again, embrace it. Even if you fail, that's one other thing I'll add to that, Emily, is I don't like the term failure a lot. You know, on a a clubhouse chat, actually, a couple of days ago, I was on a more psychology room. And I said, I don't like the idea of failure. I think like, when do we call it failure when athletes, you know, say, I'm going to practice the same route, right, for football, American football, (laughs) over and over. And I'm going to do it because I want to get to a point where 100% of the time I catch it, no matter how bad the quarterback throws the ball, right? I'm going to catch it. But every time that person drops the ball, they don't say it's failure. They call it practice. Right. And so to me, it's practice. It's like everything I do on a daily basis, it's practice. Sometimes I'm successful when I practice. Sometimes I don't get it right. The more I practice, the more I get better at it. Right. Like even social media, you've given me some advice on social media. I'm getting better at it. But I know the more I get out there, the more I practice, the better I will get at it. So it's like anything else. You got to practice. If it helps you, I would say to any entrepreneur, anyone out there, If it helps you to not think about it as a failure, as much as anything in life, look at the greatest athletes, the best performers on piano or anything, right? Practice, 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 practice. Well, it's funny that society has deemed failure as being this awful thing. And that's why I think so many of us don't go after what we really want because we are so afraid of failure. And we've been conditioned that it's this awful thing and that if we do fail, it's the end and it's the opposite of success, but really it's part of success. And once you adapt that to that mindset Mm -hmm. and you expect to have those failures along the way, you anticipate them and you actually use them to get better. That is when you become unstoppable. And that's the thing too. You know, I'm in Ontario, Canada, where we love our hockey. Uh That's what the NHL teams do. You know, when they lose a game, they study that failure. So they they watch it back, watch it back, watch it back. Where did we go wrong so that we can win next time? So that we can figure out what we can do to implement so that we don't fail again. And you see that, by the way, Emily, and like, again, I'll just use American football as an example. Like whenever somebody, say a quarterback throws an interception, right, to the other team, and they go back and you see them sitting on the sidelines with pictures, right? They're studying what they did. So yeah, so it's okay. We will all fall. Right. That's all part of the journey and anything we do. 100%. So I like to ask a lot of people, what does success look like to you? Because it's so different to everybody. I mean, 
I think when we start out as entrepreneur successes, we think of it Uh as something completely different once we've been in entrepreneurship for a while and it it continues to change. So I'm curious what it is to you. You know, I've struggled with that and just working day and night sometimes and through some of the challenges I've had through kind of all the self-esteem and depression and everything. So that's been an important question for me, especially lately, right? Because I'm building something that's even much bigger than I ever have before. But I want to make sure that, you know, I define success correctly. So, you know, Emily, I actually have a, and I can share this with the audience. I have a thing, instrument I created, and a lot of people have used it. It's called a personal balance scorecard. Because I felt I created it many years ago as an entrepreneur because I felt like I want to have balance. But what does that mean, right? What does success mean? And to me, success starts with my measure of success is what have I done to help others? That's my primary measure of success. So I look at that all the time. Anything I'm doing, am I helping others, right? So that's one thing. The second thing I'll just say is, I think of every day, every morning I get up, I meditate at 5 a.m. And the very first thing I remind myself in my meditation is my values. And to me, that's the measure of success also. In addition to giving to others, my values. And am I living my life to my values, which again are about being humble, giving to others, and living an ethical life, You know, not doing, taking any shortcuts? So I remind myself, if everything disappeared today, this is, by the way, another thing that might help others is one practice I do every day. I'm sure as entrepreneurs, all of us have really stressful days coming up and stuff, right? Or periods. And I remind myself every day that if everything else disappeared around me, what do I have, right? Like all my money, everything's... I have my health, number one. I pay attention to that a lot, right? And so that's most important. I have my family and my friends who I'm grateful for. And yes, you need a little bit of money to be happy. But money, in many cases, if you overvalue it, it causes a lot more problems, right? Mm -hmm. And so to me, having my health, my family, right? And a little bit of money to be okay. That's all. And I say, that makes me feel really good every morning to say, you know what? All the stuff that's about to happen today, maybe I'll lose the contract that I'm supposed to get or some employee quit because they weren't happy with something. Even if everything fails, I still have the three most important things, my health, my family, and a little bit of money to be, you know, just live a good life. That is incredible. I love that. I think I might have to adopt that. (laughs) It takes the pressure off. It does. And I will say, you know, for anyone, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, Meditation, I found, you know, as I was going through a lot of my struggles, spirituality and meditation is what's really helped me get through like the hardest periods in my life. And I will just say something about spirituality. That's like, you know, when I was going through my lowest point in life at about age, I just finished my MBA at Carnegie Mellon, 30 years old. I got a great job at a dot com that was high flying, was about to go public, all of that, right? But I was at the lowest period of my life. I'm telling you, I was getting up every morning in a crying fit. I'd look in the mirror and I'd just cry the whole time and go back in bed and call out sick, right? Luckily, my sister and a friend of mine recognized what was going on and interceded. I found spirituality at that point. I started reading, I'm not a religious person, but I started reading the Gita, which is a Hindu book. I took it more for, you know, that's where a lot of the practices for yoga, et cetera, come from. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there are two teachings in there that I've embraced and I remind myself. One, live a life free of desires. 
And what that means, I know even everything we do, whether we go buy a new car or you know, we want to go on vacation, everything is about desires. But if you detach yourself from that, that doesn't define your happiness at the end of the day, right? Those things don't define your happiness. And so desires, living a life free of desires. And the second thing is act without any expectations of results, right? Mm-hmm. Act because it's your duty. We all act because God put us here, right? To do something good and help others, right? That's what I believe. And what I get back at the end of the day for that doesn't matter. I don't ever think about that, right? I don't ever think if I'm going to help somebody or I just help them get a job or there's no transactional appeal mm-hmm. to me at all. Mm-hmm. It's always, hey, what have I done for somebody? So I think if you do that, that also brings a sense of calm to you. And every day, right? You're like working your butt off and you're like writing this proposal or you just did something for someone. Even if they don't reciprocate, you don't win that contract. So what? You put your best effort. You did what God intended you to do, right? And that's it. Incredible. I had a conversation with a friend the other day. They had a big falling out with a family member. And I said to them, take the step, reach out to them, just apologize, tell them you love them. And they said, well, what if they don't reciprocate? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, that's the thing. You can just know in your heart that you did the right thing. You took the step, you put it out there. And don't expect anything in return. Don't expect them to reciprocate. And they said, that makes me feel really good. Just that simple thing of taking away that expectation of they have to also say, I'm sorry too. And thanks for taking the time to reach out, apologize, take that first step and just removing all of that expectation and just doing the right thing and for no other reason than just simply wanting to do the right thing always. So I love that. Yeah. I think if we just stay free of those expectations, then we're going to be less disappointed and always kind of, you know, you're doing your thing, right? I was just like, have your mojo, do your thing. And then, you know, the rest will be fine. Ah, what an incredible conversation. I learned so much more about you every single time we talk, but I think everybody's going to be seeing a lot more of you in the next coming years. You're going to become more of a household name because you just got such an incredible story. You're so brilliant. and. I just think you're incredible. Thank you. I mean, seriously, you've been an inspiration. You know, I stop into rooms and just listen. And I think sometimes, you know, hearing the same things over and over helps you, right? And I have your story and watching everything, you know, all that you share. It's also given me encouragement to do the same, right? And so thank you for just kind of also being a role model for so many people like myself and others. So thanks. It really helps. Oh, my pleasure. So where can people find more information about you if they want to follow you, follow your journey? Yeah. So LinkedIn is probably the best place where I'm most active, I would say. Reach out to me. I try to stay and I'm building communities now on Facebook and everything. But also, I just started doing my personal branding on Instagram. Yay! (laughs) Yeah, I hate being on video, but I'm excited by the prodding of yourselves and lots of other people have said, Raj, you need to go out and spread your gospel and be out there more. Yeah. So follow me on Instagram, get in touch. I love just being helpful to people. So anything I can do for anyone, you would bring me joy. So. Oh, absolutely incredible. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story. It was a really fantastic interview. And thank you. Thanks, Emily, for having me on.